We all know the damage that fires are capable of. What we don't always understand is the cause, behavior, and what to do in the aftermath of a fire. Today, you'll understand these aspects just a little bit more. Welcome to Speaking of Fire with Mike Schlattman and Donna Ingram. We will give you tips on fire prevention, how to deal with insurance matters, and more. Now, here are your hosts, Donna and Mike. Welcome to Speaking of Fire. This is your host, Mike Slatman. I'm uh, honored to be a past president of the International Association of Arson Investigators, and I'm the president of Fire Consulting and Case Review International, as well as uh, the uh, coordinator for uh, Consolidated Fire Investigation Services. And this is Donna Ingram. I have almost 30 years in fire and fraud, and I'm a past director of the IAAI also. Welcome. Welcome, and uh, I, I forgot I had over 45 years' experience as an expert fire investigator. I better throw that in there. Uh, <laughs> this morning, we're going to talk about insurance claims, and of course, uh, because we're fire investigators, we're going to talk about fire claims, but this also goes to every type of um, of claim, because uh, uh, we have two great guests this morning. First of all, I want to I want to uh, I want to congratulate France on uh, on their choice for uh, it with uh, against um, well and Marcone uh, choice. Uh, you get, did a right thing. You don't want to get a nationalist party that uh, that uh, has a nostalgia for um, for the. Um, anti-Semitism and racism and uh, Nazi nostalgia. So uh, that like your their national front. So we want to thank you for being there for us. Um, also for all the people in Sweden and all the people listening throughout the world, thank you for being there. Um, this morning we have David Bridges, who is a, a great attorney uh, and a former I, IAAI CFI, he still is a CFI, which is Certified Fire Investigator, and even, a, and even I think he's a Deputy Sheriff in Texas as well, uh, so he does all kinds of stuff. I went over to, uh, to uh, being a, an attorney after all that, uh, well, he'll tell you, I guess. Uh, secondly, we have um, Joe Pleaser. Joe Pleaser is a friend of mine. He's we've I've known him since I guess 1979. Uh, he's a he's a very experienced adjuster. Has been in claims since 19, the 1970s and was a former president of the Property Claims Association. And he's here to talk to you about that. But we're kind of doing the cart before the horse thing because generally attorneys don't get into to claims uh, uh, initially. Uh, they can, but they generally don't. But uh, David has got to catch a plane. So I'm going to turn it over to him real quick so he can do his disclaimer about how he's, this is not legal advice and, and how you can't take this to the bank or whatever. Go ahead, David. Hey, good morning, Mike, Donna, and Joe. Thanks for having me. As Mike said, my name is David Bridges, uh, and I'm a former full-time law enforcement officer turned practicing civil attorney. I work for Marin Gear. PLLP in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And we're here today to talk about general educational information relating to insurance claims, um, claim situation, examinations under oath in the civil context. And although I'm an attorney, this is not intended to provide or replace legal advice in any way. My observations are only intended to provide the general educational overview to assist in your understanding of those concepts. So as such, if you have any questions, please Consult with your own attorney before taking any action on your own. 
Well, thank you, David, uh, for that. And now I think we understand that. Now, how does how do attorneys uh, get involved in, in, in insurance claims at all? Valid question, Mike. Uh, you know, and, and I think uh, not to uh, sound cliche or anything, but I think it depends. I mean, I think that's a good answer that any any most attorneys will tell you it depends, but it, it will depend on the insurer. Um, as Joe, I'm sure, will touch on uh, later on. But uh, insurance uh, work and insurers, they have um, what's called fiduciary duties to their policyholders and to those insureds. And they have to, uh, they have certain responsibilities they have to meet the policyholders while uh, conducting that claim investigation. The attorney's role, they get involved as the insurer uh, works towards meeting those fiduciary responsibilities. It might be early. It might be later on in the claim investigation, uh, but it's based on, uh, you know, various, it could be based on dollar amount, uh, but it, it, it really does depend, and it, and it is determined by the specific insurer's objectives. What, what is the advantage of having an attorney pulled into the file early? Well, you know, I think it's it's important because, especially when you're talking about fire and explosion work, you're talking about a a, a discipline that involves uh, an expert opinion. Um, well, the attorney uh, sort of look at the attorney in many ways as the uh, as the project manager, or maybe not even that, but maybe sort of like the quarterback. The attorney has uh, the facts; they're, they're managing those factual, ongoing factual developments with uh, the, the claims. Uh, personnel, professional, they're also, they, they have uh, a good grasp on what the law is in that particular jurisdiction. And then you have the expert opinion. Uh, so the, the attorney's job in the context of a civil fire and explosion claims investigation is to take uh, those ongoing factual developments and make sure uh, that, that the opinion uh, and the law all come together with that to make uh, a more informed recommendation to that client who, in this context, we're talking about the insurance professional. Right. And do you, um, do you get to hire your, your own origin and cause investigators? I mean, you know who, um, who's qualified throughout the country or, 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 or do the uh, carriers usually hire their own or what happens there? Well, they, they, the, the short answer is it, it plays out in a number of ways. I mean, we, there are many, many times where we, uh, again, because we're technically trained, we're in tune with those uh, technical expertise subject matters as well. We, you know, we retain the, the subject matter expert on behalf of the insurer. Um, but many times the, uh, the claims professionals, the insurance representatives, they have those subject matter experts um, you know, already on board. Maybe they've worked with them previously, and uh, they have a good working relationship there. Um, and you know, we have those situations too. So it, it can shake out a number of ways. David, let me ask you something. Um, where do you get the training from? I mean, where do you get the expertise as an attorney to know these things of who, who, how this works, and insurance and all that? Is there their seminars or the things that you do? Yeah, there are. Um, you know, I kind of, uh, I didn't grow up wanting to be an attorney. I grew up wanting to be a uh, subject matter expert in fire and investigations. 
And um, so I came into the legal profession after having a, a part of a career in that in the public sector. Uh, and uh, so that's where my foundation comes from. Uh, but from there, I mean, there you're constantly in training. Um, it's just like our subject matter experts. We uh, we preach uh, throughout the country that our subject matter experts should be uh, certified, qualified, and competent to deal with those issues. Well, I'll take it a step further and say not only should the subject matter expert be in tune with those industry standards, recommendations, and guidelines, and uh, they should, and not only should they be applying the scientific method at every step, but I actually believe the attorney should do that as well. And I think it's not enough anymore to have a have a law degree and and do do due diligence to your your client. But it really is. This is a a profession that changes all the time, um, and you have to be in training constantly. So, to, in short. You absolutely have to go to training uh, through the International Association of Arson Investigators, through numerous other uh, insurance uh, organizations out there. Um, there are uh, just a, a, a large number of training sessions that, that, that are available that you should be going to. Right. And uh, as a matter of fact, uh, I'm glad you brought the IAAI up, the International Association of Arson Investigators. You've just been recently elected as a director uh, for the international, and I want to applaud you for your campaign. Uh, also, um, that's why I formed Fire Consulting International and then uh, ultimately uh, Consolidated Fire Investigation Services in that we vetted we vet all the fire investigators throughout the country um, to make sure they have that training and they, that experience. And they're all IAAI CFI, and uh, and they have uh, and they continue their training because we make sure that that happens. Now, but for you, you are already a, a you are a unique case where you were already a certified fire investigator, and you're you bring perspective to that most attorneys don't have because um, you've actually worked them and dug them out and everything. And so uh, I recommend you, you know, to all the carriers to to use your services because you, you've been there and done done that. So um, tell me that is there's nothing like experience, uh, um, empirical experience. Uh, do you – do you think that gives you an advantage in like uh, examinations under oath and and uh, in in litigation? Uh, unquestionably, I think it gives you a, a tactical advantage. I, you know, I'll start off by saying this. I, you know, I know attorneys throughout the country that are not, uh, you know, technical experts or weren't former subject matter experts. And I'll just say right off the bat, I I, I have some dear friends of mine that that do phenomenal uh, work in the uh, fire and explosion litigation realm. That being said, um, you know, uh, of course, uh, as an attorney who's technically trained and has been a subject matter expert in this, in this field, um, you have a certain level of uh, investigative intuition. So, it, it, again, my job today, I don't replace the expert. I don't testify as an expert anymore. However, um, you're able to know, uh, understand, appreciate what the expert's telling you. And not only that, uh, Mike and Donna, you're able to take that opinion, you're able to marry that opinion up with what the factual developments are and what the law says, and you're able to uh, to help those developments as, as you move towards, you know, litigation, a trial, 
uh, or it, it maybe not even maybe not even trial uh, at all. Maybe you're just giving uh, your client the very best uh, advice and recommendation you can. And I think that right there, it, it helps you be more effective. Uh, I didn't go to law school to, uh, you know, make a lot of money. I didn't go to law school because I thought that attorneys um, have a lot of notoriety. I went to law school because it enabled me to get another tool to add to my toolbox. Um, first of all, because it's it's a road that was never traveled in that regard. But number two, because I believe the profession deserved that level of uh, competency as it related to the attorney's role. And on that note, I'd like to take this opportunity to uh, say to all the district attorneys and prosecuting attorneys that are listening, get out there on those scenes, get dirty, uh, get some experience, and and it will give you, back in the day, uh, when I was out working fires, the district attorneys in this area used to come out and and go to the scenes and and get shovels and and all of that. And it was very helpful. It was a good perspective. They may not have had the experience you have, David, but they did get a perspective of what it meant when an expert was testifying. So I'd like to encourage all the criminal side DAs and prosecuting attorneys to get out there. Right. And as a matter of fact, uh, Senator Claire McCaskill was a prosecutor in Jackson County, and she went to all the scenes. Uh, she was a prosecutor for arson cases. And Sam Samantha Shannon from the Johnson County, currently uh, the Johnson County uh, District Attorney's Office here in Kansas, uh, goes to all the scenes. And uh, David, uh, you actually still go to scenes, don't you? I do. I do uh, quite frequently, um, you know, and I, I really enjoy that. I mean, it's, it's, uh, you know, it, it, it really uh, is, it's very rewarding. Uh, I like both uh, you, Donna and Mike, you know, I've, I've, I've worked with those uh, public sector prosecutors and even, and even as someone who's been an investigator on the scene, how, how, uh, how powerful of a, a message does that send you when you have one of those elected district attorneys or, and or their uh, assistant district attorneys that comes to the scene? Uh, that really energizes you as the investigator. It really motivates you. And it's, it's so good to see everyone out there in the, in the same regard trying to seek the truth for those cases. And I, you know, I just echo those points as well. Yeah, and civil attorneys too. Uh, we we um, we we go out there uh, with uh, civil attorneys like uh, Kent Bevan here in Kansas City, or Mark Shear in in uh, in Seattle, um, or we'll go to well with you, David. Uh, your scenes. Um, there are many uh, Bob Brady in in St. Louis. There there are many. Uh, attorneys that actually go to the scenes and get to know uh, the fire investigators and know who to pick, but uh, they're also um, an example. Let's let's talk about a claim where, where you have a fire and there's a um, I don't know there's an investigation going on and maybe it's an incendiary fire, uh, one that's intentionally set, and then uh, attorneys are involved in it and sometimes they take a thing called an EUO, which is an examination under oath. We explain. David, what that is to the general public here? Yeah, absolutely. From a 30,000-foot view, again, get back to those uh, obligations. The insurer has an obligation to uh, to timely investigate uh, and to uh, pay claims, uh, claims that are rightful. 
that being said, they, they also have obligations to investigate the, the legitimacy of those claims um, in a timely manner. And basically, an examination under oath or short shorthand version of that is an, what's an EUO is referred to. But it's basically a more formal interview than the statement normally taken uh, by an adjuster. It's not uh, it's not a deposition, but it's a more the, the way to look at an examination under oath is it's a more formal interview than those statements normally taken by an adjuster. And I'll also say that um, you know that examination under oath is a policy uh, condition uh, that basically compels that insured to appear and give sworn testimony. Um, when the insured demands it. So um, if the insured uh, has filed a claim and they want to receive their insurance benefits, they have to, as a condition of that policy of insurance, when the insured demands it, they have to show up and provide that sworn testimony uh, and answer those questions truthfully. Um, you know, many jurisdictions around the country today, uh, there are case law that stands for the position that um, – you know, you can have a fire and have a, a claim filed, but if you are not truthful, if you lie, if you deceive the uh, the insurer, then you should not be able to benefit from the, your choice to do that. And that's, you know, that's something, that's a very powerful tool for the insurer today. And, that, and, and good point there, and that's something to understand about an insurance policy is it's actually a contract uh, that you have signed the insurance company is is signed, and it's a business contract. That's what it is. And more about insurance is, is I know in when I worked for a big carrier, you know, people didn't understand. Well, I haven't had this, I haven't had that, but it's a pool. I mean, we're all in it together. So when an insurance company uh, has issued out all of these policies, what happens, you know, five miles away impacts the entire pool. That's right. I think that's exactly right. And, and you know, that pool, uh, you know, you, the insurer has to constantly work to make sure that that pool is, uh, you know, that the, the, those are based on legitimate uh, claims. And, you know, I'll also say about the examination under oath, it's not just the, the insured showing up and giving that testimony under oath. But they, the, ins- the insurer can also compel that insured to produce documents, to produce records, to, uh, to you know, provide anything that they can then go and, uh, you know, verify and investigate uh, that loss um, because it, the, the, the obligation is that that should be a, a rightful claim. Once the right. decision has been made, once the claim has been proven to be rightful, uh, or they're, they're, you know, they have to pay those benefits again, those contractual benefits on a timely basis, and they can't, they can't unnecessarily delay that. It has to be, has to be a timely investigation. That's right, and so the so it's very important that you have the right experts uh, uh, giving you the the their opinions. And uh, I want to make stress something that insurance companies uh, are not, uh, and our attorneys, they do not direct the uh, investigator to find their an, an opinion that is purely the uh, the part of the expert to have their own opinions we don't sell our our opinions we sell our time and our expertise and i know david that uh, you had in your slogan to to uh, 
science is so important in, in this regard. Tell us your slogan, Nidge, when you ran for director. What was it? Oh, bringing science and law together. That's exactly right. So I thought that was a great, was a great slogan because um, that's what we're doing now. And you have to have people that know science and, uh, and how to present, how to, how to articulate their um, positions. So, David, that's one of the things that you do um, is uh, you also assist the investigators in, in, um, in, in not in formulating their opinions, of course, but uh, in case they have any questions about how to testify, maybe it's new to them. You, you are part of uh, a group of, of attorneys that assist me in the expert witness testimony course for the IAAI, and we really appreciate it. Um, what what do you think would be a good advice to your witnesses, uh, all witnesses, when they're testifying? Yeah, I think all witnesses, uh, you know, in, in, in wild depositions and examination under oath or uh, even testimony in, in trial, while they're all different, they're different lenses that you'll be looking through. You know, at the, at first and foremost, you should always tell the truth. Uh, you should always be truthful in your testimony. Um, whatever that is, even if it's something that you may not believe is significant, um, it is absolutely paramount that uh, investigators, uh, experts, insureds, uh, all those people provide truthful testimony. If you lose your credibility, uh, you essentially have lost your way and you've lost your effectiveness. And that's something that you can never get back. And so I would, I would say, you know, be truthful at the, at first and foremost. And for those subject matter experts, um, you know, it's break it down. You know, it's talk about your opinion in a way that um, you can break it down to the where the person of ordinary sensibilities can understand it. Because when you're looking at the jury, um, these are people who largely don't come from technical backgrounds. They are they are lay persons. They, you know, they're teachers. They are, you know, they, they work in, in hospital, you know, they, they work in a, all, all types of, uh, of jobs and come from different backgrounds and experiences. You've got to be able to explain that opinion in a way that makes sense, that's understandable, that resonates with them. And it's like I say, you know, I'll try to wrap it up by saying this. Um, it's kind of like what we do every year in the fire service in the month of October. We have Fire Prevention Month, and we take all these complex uh, topics, and we break them down to where uh, school-aged children can understand the importance of having a fire escape plan, checking their smoke detectors, uh, making sure they have a predetermined meeting location with their parents. All these things, are, they don't, they're based on complicated concepts of fire dynamics, fire chemistry, fire science, but we're able to break them down in a way that resonates, that makes sense, that sticks with those that audience, and that's what we have to do as expert witnesses for the jury. We have to do it in a way that, that they can look at it and say, you know what, this makes sense to me. I'm not a fire scene expert, but this makes sense. Yeah, so you speak English, and you don't talk about stoichiometric ratios. You talk about how the fire burned up and out and, and, and went in this direction, and, and, and it's, it's just teaching. That's what it is, and uh, and you assist uh, the investigators by asking the right questions. And we only have two two minutes left here, uh, but I wanted to say to you, uh, David, I really appreciate all the good work that you're doing, um, and uh, and and so and I, I'm sorry I, again the name of because because. 
my my wasn't clear. What's the name of your firm in Minneapolis? Yeah, my firm is uh, Mayor and Gear uh, PLLP. I work for the uh, catastrophic loss practice group within Mayor and Gear. We have offices uh, in, in multiple states, but we have my practice is a nationwide practice that focuses on uh, fire and explosion litigation, uh, fire protection failures, system failures, um, expert related uh, challenges. Um, but yeah, we we that is the name of my firm, and that's what I do. And and I'd like to say, Donna, Mike, uh, thank you all for having me on your show. It's been a pleasure. Look forward to talking with you real soon. Thanks for coming on, David. We appreciate it, and and uh, safe travels, my friend. Yes, yes, and uh, and we'll be talking sometime in the future, David. Thank you again. Um, now, what we're going to do is we're going to move to a uh, a break here. Uh, just a little bit early. And then we're going to come back with Joe Pleaser, who is a longtime adjuster, a friend, and and uh, and he is uh, he's a great guy, and you're going to like him because he speaks English, okay? And he won't be uh, giving you a bunch of t- terms either. So uh, come back to Speaking of Fire. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Fire Consulting International provides consulting and expert fire origin and cause investigations. Our experienced certified fire investigators have specialized skills to meet litigation requirements. We also provide peer review of reports for other investigative firms to assure they meet NFPA guidelines and ASTM standards. Educational classes and CEU classes are also provided. For professional investigations, contact Fire Consulting International at fcifire.com or call 913-262-5200. Fireanalysis.net offers cutting-edge, comprehensive programs unique to the insurance industry. Our vendor vetting assures regulatory compliance with the Sarbanes-Oxley Act, NFPA guidelines, and ASTM standards. We ensure that investigators' reports are in compliance with those standards. We also offer comprehensive programs to assure compliance with your company guidelines. Please contact fireanalysis.net. That's fireanalysis.net. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. are listening to Speaking of Fire with Mike Schlattman and Donna Ingram. To call in to today's show, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to connect at speakingoffire.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Speaking of Fire. Thanks for joining us. Well, we have a, a really good guy named Joe Pleaser, who has been my friend since 1979. He's worked for GAB Business Services in the past, uh, and when I first met him, and has been working with Nixon and Company for 
30 years or so, I guess. Um, Joe, welcome. Uh, how Can you hear us over here? Oh, yes. Yeah. Thank you for the kind words, Michael. Oh, you're, well, you're fine. You're a fine adjuster, and I know that, uh, that you have represented uh, well to all the insureds. But uh, give me a question. Here's, here's, uh, here's a question that everybody has. Okay, so they usually don't have insurance claims, and then suddenly something happens. They have a fire. They have a, a wind damage claim. I don't know. A tornado comes through, a lightning strike. Uh, what happens then? What, what do they do, and then where does it go from there? Oh, I would assume they probably panic to start off with and try to to find a policy if they can. Uh, But if they remember, uh, probably the first and best thing to do is call their insurance agent. And that's Mm -hmm. the one basically who sold the policy to them. And then they notify him of this loss, and then he tells the insurance company, whatever company it is. uh, Correct. And uh, and then... uh, and then what happens? Uh, you, now, you're an independent adjuster. You don't work for a, a particular company. You work for a whole bunch of different companies, don't you, Joe? Yeah, I was thinking we might explain that situation uh, as opposed to uh, XYZ Insurance Company, which might have their own adjusting crew. Uh, I work for an independent adjusting company, and we work for whatever insurance company wants to hire us uh, for whatever reasons. And so there's a little bit of a distinction um, you know, I, I don't write checks normally. Uh, you know, I don't have settlement authority. I'm more or less the eyes and ears for the insurance carrier that hires me. But in, in what you're saying, uh, once the uh, insured turns in a claim, uh, I would normally get a, a loss assignment, and it gives me the details, uh, say it's a fire, wind, water, freeze, whatever it is, and I, I would call the insured, uh, discuss what happened, try to set up an appointment, and then meet the insured at the, uh, you know, the various risks, uh, and take a look and, and kind of try to guide guide the insured through the, uh, you know, the proper way to handle the claim. And adjusting is just that. It's it's a descriptive term that you're adjusting a claim, meaning you're evaluating. Correct. Correct. Yeah. There's. Uh, I've learned over the years, and maybe some. You know, some people disagree, and I was thinking, too, I'm not an attorney or anything like that, so probably a lot of what I say is just my own opinion and, and experience over the years. But uh, the way I kind of look at it, my job is to assist the insured in presenting his claim to the insurance company in, you know, the best way that I can. And so, like uh, on a fire, I might go out there and uh, talk to the insured, and w- let's say it's happened in the kitchen. Uh, you know, we try to get a rough idea of what's going on, uh, if, if an expert is, such as yourself is necessary to try to pin down the cause of the fire, you know, we get a hold of, uh, I'd call your office and talk to Donna or someone else at, at the office and uh, give all the claim background, uh, you know, that you would need to contact the person. And then uh, you would go out and take a look to try to assist us in finding out what was the cause of the fire, because that can be a very important thing for various reasons. And I was going to say those various reasons being, um, one, insurance companies are concerned with fire safety. They want to know what products are out there. If there's thing, exactly. you know, things that are being recalled, there's subrogation. So if there's something that a product that is liable that has caused this, then they recoup their monies from that. And then a very small percentage um, is to make sure that it wasn't intentional just to collect monies. Correct. Exactly, and and uh, and Joe, you 
Now, let's make it clear that you, um, you're, you're really trying to assist this in, in charity. You're not trying to find ways to, to beat them out of any money. Some people think that, uh, think that they're, they're trying to, you're trying to jip us out of money after <laughs> I paid all of this, these premiums. And when you call us in, and I'm talking about fire investigators, experts, um, you don't tell them what to find, do you? No, uh, um, like you, you know, I think the attorney referred to this. Basically, uh, it's like his advice to witnesses: tell the truth. You know, what what are the facts? Uh, there may be differences, you know, from one expert to another about what may have happened, but uh, you know, everyone's seeking the truth, and then let the chips fall the way they will. Well, and also, and we won't get too technical here, but it's it's important to know that. Again, in the evaluation, there's policies, depending on your policy, depending on the policy and what the language is and what the product you have paid for, there's things that are actual cash value versus uh, replacement costs and things like that. And that is your job, right, is to go out there and take a look at that. Correct. Uh, I take a look at the policies. And again, I don't make policy decisions, so to speak. I may put things together and send a report to the company pointing out certain things, but the company, the insurance company ultimately makes the, you know, the claim, uh, the claim decision. Right. And that's true. And and so you report back, you're doing an, in essence, a, the first investigation of the claim, just of here it is, here's the damage, here's the, uh, here's what the insured uh, said, and this is where they were and stuff right. like that. And uh, and then uh, if they call in an, uh, another expert, an engineer, whatever, a fire investigator, whatever it is, uh, that's up to the carrier. And then um, and a carrier being the insurance company. And then uh, and you you just uh, you're you're filing reports and they make the decisions right all Correct. all the time, right? Correct. Yeah, and the point. Thing, I mean, when, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I started to say when 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 a, uh, an insured has a claim. I mean, first of all, normally they're somewhat confused. Uh, they don't know what to do. And so, you know, I try to come in there, and, you know, I've been through this a few times, and I try to help them uh, follow the proper procedures to, you know, present the claim. Uh, like, for instance, if there's a fire, normally you're going to have some contents items such as furniture, clothing, you know, food in the kitchen, things like that that they'll need to list out that, you know, may have been damaged uh you know, whether it can be cleaned or not, you know, there's experts that can come in and determine that. And then again, like we said before, like if we need to determine the cause of a fire, uh, you could come in if we need to bring in an engineer to see if it's uh, the light bulb that broke or the switch or whatever, then you can bring in a, an engineer. So, you know, it all comes down to everybody's there, kind of a team effort type thing. And that's the point of an insurance policy. It's to put you back where you were. So it's not to lessen anything and you're not to gain anything either. It's to put you as much as possible back to the place that you were before the incident. Does that mean that you mean if I have insurance loss, I can't have a swimming pool put in the back? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) You can, but you got to pay for it, Mike. (laughs) Oh, yeah. See, see, there you go. See, now I'm doggone it. All right. Well, so, yeah, these these are actually contracts, and, and, and you have to live up to your side of your contract, too. That that insurance company has to do that, but you have to live up to it, too. And there's a there's certain uh, contract uh, provisions in there. One of them is that you'll tell the truth, that you won't uh, conceal or misrepresent uh, 
Well, Joe and I have worked on many cases before, and somebody might have a loss, and they might have originally had three TVs, but now they've had seven TVs, and there's one in Correct. every room. <laughs> yeah, yep. so they're kind We've of seen that a couple of times, maybe. <laughs> yeah, you're kind of in puffing it. They used to call it. They even got a term for it, and uh, puffing. It's called puffing, where they increase the claim, right. and then uh, and then uh, and then there are other ones that are. I mean, blatantly. Um, I worked one that was uh, a. Well, it was a burglary claim, uh, and uh, they caught the kids that did it. So they they stole about um, I don't know a few things, and they they put it outside in a, in a box, and uh, they recovered this box. But the woman, uh, they broke in a door to get in there. But the woman claimed forty two thousand dollars worth of items stolen, including tapioca pudding, uh, and and things from her hope 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 chest. Um, uh, and uh, that was kind of like a, a fraudulent claim, so they turned that one down. But uh, sometimes it starts with just your initial interview, Joe, when you go out there to the scene and, and your eyeballs start spinning around when, when people say things to you. Uh, and you, oh, you said, and it was really great, you said, I've worked a few of these. How many thousands of claims do you think you've worked over your career, Joe? Oh, boy, I, would have, I wouldn't even know how to begin to answer that, Mike. I really wouldn't. Uh... It's got to be up in the thousands, but you know, I've occasionally I've been asked that at, at, at like in depositions or court things, and there's just no way to because each claim. I mean, some claims take a long time to handle, and others it's an in and out. You go out, look at things, write up a report, and you know it's it's no you know a one time over and done thing. But others take quite a while to investigate and conclude for various reasons. So it's just hard to put a an estimate on that. I was thinking about well, one thing you said though. Um, you know, from my standpoint, I don't care if I, you know, if if the insurance company pays somebody uh, a nickel or or a million dollars. I mean, it's not coming out of my pocket. First of all, uh, you know, and, and whatever's fair is fair. If they've had a claim, and you know, I mean, I I don't have any. There's no reason for me to go in and say no. It's not ten thousand dollars, sir. It's really five thousand. I mean, it's. I try to like you, like we were saying, try to find the truth, get the facts. Uh, put put their contents list together, their estimate for the, whatever the house is going to cost to to repair at a fair rate, and then uh, whatever it is, it is. Right, and out of those claims, and without uh, giving any details, you know, any any specific carrier or person or anything, tell sure. us about an interesting claim that you've had, something that uh, that stayed with you through these thousands and thousands. Well, a couple of I was just thinking a couple of one. Uh, Mike and I worked several claims together. Um, again, I, I I don't want to step on legal, you know, uh, bad issues right. or anything of that nature. But uh, you know, there was one. For instance, there was a fire, and one of your investigators came out, and he disagreed about the cause of the fire. It was in Independence, and uh, he thought that it was a possibly a set fire by someone coming in. There was a fatality in this case. There was a body in a bathtub. And the police called it accidental, but your investigator basically said it was an intentional fire, and which turned, you know, a claim or turned the the situation into a homicide as opposed to an accidental death. And so, I don't think anything ever really came of that. But that was, I don't know, it's always kind of stuck with me. Yeah, well, it's sometimes, uh, and it's not the fault of the uh, of the fire department or police um, if they don't have the proper training. 
uh, or they don't uh, are they are the resources to dig them out and in situations like that. And so, yeah, I know that case, and you're right. Um, and it was um, it was a homicide, but um, it, they just never made an arrest. Uh, the, I mean, it was it wasn't um, it, it was just a case of of just having not enough. Now that was years and years ago too. So right. I, I, yeah. So um, that was then when that's why I, I one of the things that I was so adamantly involved in uh, in the International Association of Arson Investigators is getting all this training out there and uh, and everybody's gotten better uh, in their use of science uh, everybody uh, because we require it and their NFPA 1033 requires that so I think a prior David Bridges our, our prior guest pointed out it may be something that doesn't seem significant that's is if that's one thing that I have learned uh, working fires is taking lots of photographs and later on coming back and going, okay, look at that. I didn't see that while I was there because it's dark, it's wet, it's cold, it's hot, it's this, it's that. And you get back and and you see things and and are able to, you know, or, or this is actually to the left of this, not to the right where this was said. So those insignificant things can become very significant. Right. And Joe, and you and, you and I, I think, will agree with this. Uh, uh, the insurance carriers make the decisions. I mean, we can we can report anything back to them and, and they they evaluate it. And sometimes it's an economic decision. Uh, oh, make, def- most definitely. Yeah, that's it's their it's their money and they, they make the decisions. Exactly. And so we, you know, we're the, we're the, um, we're the front, you're the frontline troop. Okay. So you're the guy that responds. You're the first responder. Okay. Once that's, that's, uh, that the insurance company is called. And then we're kind of like the guys that come in behind you to, to uh, give you assistance. And then if we need engineers, we'll bring in engineers. Um, and then you've had litigation. You've had to, you've had to testify too, haven't you, Joe? Yeah, cases. a few times, as as you have too, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah, we have a. I got a whole bunch of those. And now you've given both deposition and court testimony, correct? Correct. Okay, and during those times, you you tell the truth, and then um, and then sometimes the other the opposing side wants to take issue with you. Um, what do you? What would you say to uh, to someone, whether they're an insured or a or an adjuster or a fire investigator or whoever they are? What What do you think your best advice is as being about being a witness, other than tell the truth? Is there more? Yeah, I mean, really, it, it boils down to that. Uh, tell the truth. Uh, I know the. I was just thinking back on the one the depositions that I've been through and. I don't know, some of them, after a while, there was one they said, we're going to meet you in the morning and it'll take till 11 o'clock or so. Well, this thing kept going on and on. And, and I bet, and then they said, let's break for lunch. And I'm thinking, break for lunch? I've got appointments. <laughs> and uh, then we came back afterwards. And to be honest with you, I couldn't even tell you my phone number, I think, by about 3 o'clock. So, oh. it's, you know, it's just, uh, you, you tell the truth, but I guess you just relax, uh, do the best job you can, and... You know, like I said, let the chips fall the way they will. Well, and that's something that we, when we train um, fire investigators and any type of investigators, there are things that happen. There are things that happen after. There are things that aren't reported to you. It's okay to say, I don't know. 
it's really okay to say, um, I wasn't aware of that. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that is something during an investigation, not necessarily on the stand. What I'm saying is it's okay to not know everything. Sure. Yeah, and Joe, let's talk about the process continuing. You you uh, you go out there to the scene. You meet with the insured. You get the initial uh, statement. You get you get a look at the scene. You take the photographs, uh, and you send in your report. Now, once you send it into the carrier, you do you have any control about how quickly they act on that? No, not. I mean, it's it's on their time schedule. But in certain cases, you know, if it's if things need to be done quickly, I, m- I might try to get a hold of a, a certain person at the company, the one I'm reporting to, or or whoever, and try to you know speed things up the best I can. Uh, but it kind of depends on the process. Uh, you know, sometimes you can't even get a hold of the right person at the right time, and so you have to leave. You, you play phone tag, and um, but you know you just keep keep persevering and and, and do the best you can. Right, because, you know, I know there's complaints been in the past that uh, people are saying, well, give me my check, give me my check. And uh, and there's really, uh, as an adjuster, uh, even if you work for a company, um, there has to be decisions made. People have to review these things. So oh, yeah. uh, you, patience is a, is a virtue. Um, but I wanted to make sure that people knew that it wasn't Joe that's holding up the process, or, or that things that you that you send it on up, right? No, I mean, to my, I mean, once I turn in a report, like I said, I'm pretty much out of it until the company makes a decision. And to tell you the truth, I just didn't get a quicker decision because I don't want to answer 15 phone calls over the next <laughs> you know week or whatever, uh, you know, saying the same thing. I'm waiting. I'm waiting, but. I mean, that's really kind of the situation that I'm in sometimes. So, And that's just it. It's a process, and it's, it's, it's a technical process. It's something with a fire. It's something that things do have, they can only occur so fast. We try to get out next day. Uh, sometimes it's a couple of days. It depends on weather. It depends on all uh, variables. All kinds well, of variables. I was just thinking, and it's down the line. I mean, uh, for instance, with a fire, you have to get someone out to do a temporary board up. Uh, then you have to get someone to put an estimate together. You know, and if it's a serious fire, uh, you're not going to be able to write an estimate overnight. I mean, to do a proper estimate, uh, you have to put your contents list together. If you have to stay in a hotel, I mean, there's what's called additional living expenses. So, I mean, it's it, it, from the uh, insured standpoint. I can understand how he gets frustrated, but it's it's kind of like a tax return. There's just a lot of little pieces you have to put <laughs> together to to make the whole thing come out, and and you want to do it the right way. So that can you know make the process not seem as speedy as as it could be or as you hope it would be. And just uh, for the general public, I just want to let you know, having uh, underwritten policies myself, that. When, when an insurance policy is put into force, it's to cover a complete and total loss. And that's the reason why you see a higher amount than maybe, um, well, what you pay for a home is never part of it. It's what it's going to cost to rebuild it from the ground up. So right. what happens in these, these large fires is that claim, you're, you're claiming a total loss. Now, you may not have a total loss. That's where the adjusting comes in. But all of this takes time, doesn't it, Joe? Oh, yeah. It's, like I said, you know, you've got to wait until you get your estimates put together. Uh, 
you may have to wait on weather. In, in some cases, you know, you might have snow on the roofs that you have to clear. Um, you may need to get a house dried out. Uh, for instance, when hardwood gets wet, it can be forced dried. The hardwood can be, but uh, if if you don't dry it properly, it's people want to resand it and, and put new finish on it. But the thing, the hardwood could just buckle on you again. So, you know, you have to have experts that know what they're doing. You know, to come in and, and, like I said, to do it right, it just takes a while. And they may have to use different materials. I mean, if you have a house that was built in the 1920s, that's got a completely different set of materials than what can be used today. Oh, exactly. And so that can present problems, uh, whether you have to special order things, uh, whether you have to tear out um, more than you expected, you know, because of your material issues. Uh, You have hazardous materials, you know, sometimes you have to work through government regulations whether there's asbestos or or whatever it might be. And so it's, you know, it's just, like you said, a process is, is a good way and a good way of explaining it. And you, you just play play it as it comes up. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm sorry. Um, it's, and, and re- replacement costs as far as, um, uh, values and stuff that's that's not determined by you uh the other thing is uh the construction uh costs go up every year right joe and, oh, and you'll see an inc- yeah so you'll see an increase in premium uh and then right. and that's that's a lot about construction costs right you don't set that do you oh no uh most companies have some sort of it's evolved to where there are computer estimating programs and the prices are input by uh, a company that makes the you know the estimating software, and it keeps changing all the time. I think contractors send in uh, reports of what what they are charged for materials and labor, and so uh, like I'll, I'll put in like sheetrock uh, paint, and it's got an they call it a line item price, you know per item, and you know it changes you know monthly basically. And I here's here's a good example. Um, I wrote a policy on a brand new house that was under construction and brand new house. They hadn't even moved in. When I wrote the policy, it was higher than what it was costing to build. And of course, naturally, the people were a little upset and saying, why are you insuring it? You know, well, one of the variables here is when you have a a neighborhood being built by a builder, he's getting things at wholesale cost. The cost to rebuild one house versus build a track of five houses can be two different things, correct? Oh, exactly. Uh, well, it's like a car. You know, if, if, you, if you buy a brand new car for $20,000, if you take that car and try to buy each individual part, I, I read something about that one time. What is it, like sixty or $80,000? Wow. So it's, 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 you know, just obnoxious the way the prices, you know, just the way our pricing system works. And it really can be the analogy is wholesale to retail because when when things are built in bulk and bought in bulk, it's it's a better price than individually. Right. Oh sure, sure. And and you're a great adjuster, Joe. Um, and tell Thank us you again, sir. your 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 company is 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 Nixon and Company. Is that correct? Yes, uh, Nixon and Company. Uh, our main office is in St. Louis, uh, and we have branch offices in Chicago, Cape Girardeau, and a few other cities. Uh, and we just got purchased by a company called uh, SCM Insurance Services, and they are the uh, largest uh, independent adjusting company in Canada, and they're trying to put a foothold in the United States, and they selected our company to purchase to, to do that. So looks like it's going to be kind of an interesting, exciting time for, for, for our company. So will you be going up there, eh? 
<laughs> we asked about that, and they said, well, first of all, do you want to come up here in February? Or, and so, uh, but it sounds like they're going to do a lot more what they call virtual training. So right off the bat, it doesn't look like it, but who knows? You never can tell. Well, we have like, some Canadian chapters up there for the International Association of Arson Investigators. If you need any uh, in- interpretation of the uh, language, I-, I know a bunch of Canadians and uh, even people in Quebec. So you can uh, – you can. Uh, yeah, so we can do that. Also, one more thing. You had a you have a degree in, in journalism, don't you, Jim? Yes, I sure do. And you used to run a, a, a magazine, and now you and I have been talking about writing this book. And we're <laughs> yeah, going we've to talked about day. that for a long time, haven't we? Yeah, yeah we have. And what, I think we finally got it. We're going to do – we're going to be – we're going to write a book, and it's going to be half – Half about uh, adjusting, adjusting, and all the wonderful people you've met, and the half about these fire, uh, fire investigations. Both we work together and and uh, at different places, and uh, we'll we'll talk a bunch a bunch of stuff, and we got to come up with the title, Joe. And That'd be a fun remi- project. Yeah, I'll have to think about that a, a bit. Yes. Well, I'll read Joe's half. Just make sure you section <laughs> it off. Oh, that's nice. I thought I was maybe thinking, more than. When Don was asking me about the interesting things, uh, I was thinking about w- one fire report I got from a, it was a small little Missouri town. I can't even remember where it was, but uh, you know how some fire reports are what a hundred pages or more and detailed, right. and you know has all these computer numbers and then maybe a narrative. This one it was a handwritten thing and it said, uh, "Good response, truck started." That was it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that well that. That's half of the battle, isn't it? So anyway, well, I want to thank you for for being here, Joe. Um, I know that uh, that you'll continue as long as you decide that you want to work. And I know I'm going to continue working until I find me at the bottom of a fire scene with my legs up in the air like a dead dog. But uh, <laughs> I don't. Um, but I I know that as, as long as you work, the, your insureds are going to have the proper uh, representation, and uh, and you'll continue to tell all the truth, the whole truth. And we appreciate you, Joe. Well, we appreciate you, you, Mike, and uh, stay away from those uh, shaky rafters and and choices you have to walk on sometimes. (laughs) Yeah, I I quit doing that now because I I got guys to go with me every time and say, hey, go up there and do that. So that's that's, that's (laughs) great. Isn't that the truth? Well, the good old days, I fell off of a dump truck and knocked myself out on the part that goes over the truck. That was fun. I was, oh, I, I never was, heard that story, though. No. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was out in Emporia. And yeah, I don't tell it to everybody. Well, of course, now I just told it internationally. Yes. But it's because I had too big of fire boots on, and I was trying to walk down the windshield of the dump truck and slipped. Oh, wow. That's what, that's what <laughs> happened to you. I was wondering what happened to her. Well, I have anyway. a flat head in the back. <laughs> Joe, uh, this is only going internationally. So now the people in Sweden and France and, and Vietnam and, and Poland and everywhere knows about her slipping off of it. Why are you walking on a dump truck? Don't tell me. I was me. trying to get a good picture, a real picture. I was trying right, to well, I hope you got the picture at least. Yeah, yeah I did. Okay, it was a so, little bit blurred and streaked. Okay, so we're going to have to go now because we're going to end this thing. But uh, next, we're going to have uh, fire deaths. and we're, I'm not fire deaths, fire injuries. Uh, we've got education coming up in the next few weeks. So when you... When you think about uh, listening to talk radio, think about voiceamerica.com and think about coming back to... Speaking of fire. Speaking of fire, come (laughs) back. Thank you for tuning in to Speaking of Fire. 
Please join your hosts, Mike Schlattman and Donna Ingram, for another edition of our program next Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Remember to be careful this week and every week.